Don't you like feeling insecure? Isn't that one of your favorite emotions? Like when the boss calls you in for an unexpected meeting and you're just sitting there and you're wondering what's about to happen. Don't you enjoy that anxiety and that tension? Or, or didn't you enjoy it when, you know, you were dating and you tried to call your girlfriend and she didn't answer? And so, you know, didn't you enjoy the tension that created? And, and, and didn't you enjoy it when you got in your car and you would go over to find out where she lived, you knew where she lived, and you just looked in the window just to see if she was home? Not that I ever did that. And didn't you enjoy that feeling? Or some of you, this is fresh, right? This is really fresh. You just dropped off your kid at college, and now... Now, don't you enjoy that feeling of wondering what they're doing and what they're up to and that they have turned off that device on their phone that allows you to track them? Don't you just enjoy that? Yet nobody likes to feel insecure, and yet most of us at some point in life, we feel that way. And here's the interesting thing. Your heavenly Father did not design you to be insecure. You remember there's that strange verse in Genesis chapter 2 where we're told that Adam and Eve were naked and they were not ashamed. And they, they enjoyed fellowship with God. What does that mean? Well, it means that God designed them to be absolutely attached and secure in his love. And they could live just open. They didn't have anything to hide. They didn't even need clothes. You're all clothed. What happened? Well, God gave us one rule and we broke it. And when that happened, sin entered the world, and all of a sudden, our secure attachment with God erupted. And not only that, our attachment with each other was broken. And let me tell you something, you already know, insecure people have insecure connections, right? If you're insecure, or if you have a moment of insecurity, you are going to have insecurity in your relationships, in your business dealings, in some part of your life. And that's why you feel disconnected in your families, in your marriages. That's why some of you feel really unsure at work. And let's be honest, that's why some of you feel really disconnected from God. Now, to me, this is why church needs to be a place of grace. It needs to be a place where all of us can come together and actually acknowledge, hey, I don't always feel so secure. And then admit that we need something from God to reestablish that security, the way that we were originally designed to be. Because Jesus followers, us, we believe that people can have secure relationships when they are connected to Jesus. We talked about this a lot last week. And if you weren't here for last week's message, I'm going to be just vain enough to say, go back and listen to it. Because if you're connected to Jesus, you've got some security you don't even know you have. We're spending time in John 15, one of the richest chapters in the Bible. And I want you to read this chapter throughout this series over and over again, part of your devotion. Absorb it. And let me give you the big truth. It's a little wordy, so you might want to write it down. Here's the big truth we're going to focus on today. If you're connected to Jesus, you are secured by his love so you can love. Let me say it again. If you are connected to Jesus, now let me pause right there. If you're not connected to Jesus, this is one of the reasons you should be. Because you're going to be made secure by his love, and then you can love other people. So let's start unpacking this. And, and the best way to understand this passage is to think of it as a chain. Each verse is like a link. 
And each link I'm going to give a name to and then read the verse. And these links all connect to each other. Now, what would happen if I broke a link in this chain? you say the chain would be shorter. Right. It wouldn't connect as strongly or as much. And, and the reason some of you are having trouble in relationships, the reason some of you are struggling is because there's a link that Jesus is going to explain, he's going to talk about, and it's broken, and you need to repair it. You need to do what Jesus actually says. Now, I'm not going to hold the chain up every time I teach one of the verses, but I just want you to keep this in mind. We're talking about each of these teachings linking to each other, building on each other. So let's dive in. Let's first talk about the love model. The love model. I know some of you think this is a bad flashback to the 60s. It's not. Verse 9, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. Jesus is saying something very simple. Everything I know about love, I learned from my heavenly father. And I love you the same way my heavenly father loves me. Which leads us to ask, how did our heavenly father love Jesus? Well, it certainly wasn't that he spared Jesus from pain and heartache. And if you're a parent, your job is not to prevent heartache for your children. Your job is to love them like our Heavenly Father does. How did our Heavenly Father love Jesus? Well, he reassured him, he encouraged him, he was there for him, and he clued Jesus into his plan. You remember when Jesus was baptized, there was this voice that spoke from heaven that said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Boy, what an encouraging message. Do you remember when Jesus was on the Mount of Transfiguration again? Our Heavenly Father spoke and said, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. What validation. And don't you remember that Jesus knew all along God's plan. He kept telling his disciples three times, I'm going to go to Jerusalem. They're going to kill me. I'm going to rise again. Three times he said that. He knew the Father's plan. So how does Jesus love us? Jesus encourages us. Jesus reminds us that he is, he's there. He's going through life with us. And there is a plan. Our plan is to walk in the will of our Heavenly Father. Do you remember the last words that Jesus spoke in the Gospel of Matthew? Matthew 28, last part of verse 20, he says, Surely I am with you some of the time. Surely I am with you when you're good. Surely I am with you when you're in church. No, surely I am with you always so when is Jesus not with you never if you're connected to Jesus he's always with you even to the end of the age which means there's nothing going on in your life no sin you commit no failure no fear no insecurity Jesus says that scares me he, he never says that Jesus always says I'm there with you um, several years ago, Sumter High was playing one of their opponents at that opponent's field, and I was at the game, and it had been a tight game, and uh, Sumter had won in the last few minutes, last, last, really last seconds of the game. And the other uh, team obviously was upset, and their fans were upset, and then I had to exit through that crowd of hostile fans. And I don't mind telling you, I was a little scared. Until I saw my friend. Deputy Sheriff Eddie Hobbs. 
I said, hey, Eddie, how are you? And I just got right next to him. And then there was another guy in our church, Chuck Banghart. Chuck was a federal agent. Now, Chuck's about four inches taller than me and bigger. And, and all of a sudden, I'm walking between Chuck and Eddie. Hey, you want a piece of me? Come on. It wasn't all of a sudden that I got stronger or more muscular. It was who I was with that made the difference. If you're having trouble in your life loving people, who you're with makes a difference. If you're with Jesus, you've got a model of being loved so you can love. Now, the next link in the chain, the next link in the chain that Jesus is going to give us is what I call the obedience lock or the obedience weld. Jesus says... In verse 10, if you keep my commands, you will remain in my love just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. Now, we hear the word command and we usually have a negative connotation. You're commanded to do something. We don't like that. But the word command in Greek actually means not only command, but truth and precept. In other words, Jesus is giving us a command not just to be harsh, not to just make us do right face, left face, about face. He's giving us a command because it's true. Live your life in accordance with the truth. What happens if you're living your life not in accordance with the truth? Any of you guys ever try to take off a, a, a nut with the wrong size wrench? How does that work? And you, and you say, I will this wrench to work. Does that work? No, because there's some truth there you're missing. You need to go to the hardware store, buy another wrench. That's why we try to fix things, guys, so we can buy more tools. You need to get locked into your heavenly Father's love. That's what Jesus is saying. Follow this command, and you're going to remain in your heavenly Father's love. Do what Jesus tells you to do. Now, how do you do that? It's real easy. Just every day you say, okay, what do you want me to do? This is one of the reasons to study your Bible, to follow, to know what Jesus wants you to do. So the command is to remain in his love. Heavenly Father, what do you want me to do? Let me follow the example of Jesus. That's the obedience weld or the obedience lock. You see how these are starting to connect. Here's the third connection that Jesus gives us as he's laying out this chain. He says, there's a joy in being in my love. There's the joy of security. It's found in verse 11. I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. What's Jesus saying? Okay, when, when you remain in my love, you're going to be filled with joy. Now, don't confuse joy and happiness. Happiness is usually something we try to buy. Joy is a way we live. Dallas Willard said this, Joy is a deep-seated sense of well-being, of safety in God's universe. You hear that? You're secure. You're safe. Our Heavenly Father has you. And it's enough. So your joy is complete. You don't have to feel anxious about what you don't have. You don't have to feel anxious about what might happen. You are with your Heavenly Father. For 18 glorious days in June... We kept my grandson. At that time, he was about eight months old. It was just wonderful. It was wonderful. And 
it was, I just can't tell you how great it was. And of course, we were glad when the 18 days were over, we could sleep again. But, but we had to put him down for naps. And so he had this swing, and we were supposed to put him in the swing and play this music, which would drive you crazy. And it goes back and forth, and he's supposed to go to sleep. Well, I would, he wouldn't sleep in that thing for me. I would put him in that swing. I'd buckle him in. I'd pray that he'd start to fuss, and I just couldn't stand it. I'd, I'd wait five, ten seconds, and I'd have to get him out. And I would lay him down on the bed, and I'd get right next to him, and his little hand would reach up and just touch me. He wanted to know Papa was there. He felt secure. He laid his little head on my arm. He'd go to sleep. Let me tell you, anybody came in that room wanted to harm that little boy, they were going to die. Right? Imagine your Heavenly Father holding you. What do you think is going to get you? What do you think is going to take you out of his arms? Nothing. You can feel the joyful security of knowing you're loved. And Jesus says, if you're secured by his love, now you can love. He's going to shift. He's going to make a shift. And we need to remember, the reason many of us struggle in relationships is because we are not living in the deep love of Jesus. And now he tells us the outflow truth. Here's the outflow truth, verse 12. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Love each other as I have loved you. Now, now who does that apply to? It applies, first of all, to Jesus' followers. If you're a follower of Jesus, this is not optional. It is a command. Remember, this is an instruction given to us because it is the truth. Jesus wants us to love each other. That's why a church needs to be a place of grace. That's why a church needs to be a place that is so secure in our Father's love. We can love a broken and hurting world that does not know how to love. You think our world knows how to love? This is why, this is why we need the Father's love. And so, as Jesus teaches us this, he wants us to remember, love each other. We don't get to define what that means. And you understand this. You understand this. Because let's say there's this couple, and she speaks up and she says, I wonder sometimes if you love me. And he says, how can you even ask a question like that? Of course I love you. I work hard. I try to provide for you. I'm faithful to you. I, I bought you flowers last year. And you know what she's going to say, don't you? She's going to say, oh, I am married to such a wonderful man. I forgot that I, I forgot that's what love is. Flowers every two years. Brings home a paycheck. You know, it's wonderful. No, no that's not what's going to happen. What's going to happen? Nothing good. Because you see, the way she needs love and the way he wants to define love is very different. That's why Jesus doesn't let us define love. He says, you've got to love each other the way I loved you. Now, I'm going to talk more about this in, in the next link in the chain. But I want you to get this. Love gives. That's the heart of love. 
You, you all know this. For God so loved the world that he gave. Love gives. It gives time. It gives energy. It gives emotional attention. Jesus says, I want you to love as I have loved you. So you need to adopt Jesus' standard of love. And I know a lot of you, you're carrying attachment wounds. You, you didn't have a parent who was there. They were missing in action. You've been wounded in a relationship. You feel abandoned. But here's what I want you to know. When you let the love of Jesus really capture your heart, then, then you are going to be able to truly love. And that's why we need to be a church that's a place of grace. We'll really know community when we love each other the way Jesus does, which real simply is this. It's not my church. It's not your church. It's Jesus' church. So we do what Jesus says. And if we're not loving each other, well, we got to start. Now, here's the good news. I think as a church, we do a pretty good job with this. We always can improve. Now, the next link in the chain, here's the next link, is the lay down principle. Verse 13. This is going to expand the whole idea of what it means to love. Jesus says, greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. Now, I just told you that the nature of love is to give. So the greatest love is to give your life, right? And I know a lot of you guys, you're, you're there, right? You're with me. I'll lay down my life. Somebody breaks in my house, I'm going to get my pistol. I'm going to stand between them and my family. I'm going to protect my family. I will lay down. They shoot me, but they're not going to get to my family. I'll get a shot off at them. <gasps> okay, so guys, I love that that's your spirit, but let me just ask you a question. How many times a week does that happen? Or, or how many times this year has that happened? Or how many times this decade has that? Some of you have got pistols hidden under your mattress that are rusted because it hadn't happened. You know what this is. It's tape measure. Instead of trying to do the grand gesture of lay down your life and stand and hold off the intruder, how about laying down your life one inch at a time? One inch at a time. One inch at a time. Now, what does that mean? That means you come home and you're tired, but you say, I'll do the dishes. That's laying down your life one inch at a time. It means when she says, you know, I just like to sit on the couch and talk. Don't say, what about? Lay down your life. Put down the video controller and say, I'm here. Let's talk. It means that you say, honey, I'm going to take care of the kids. Bathe them and put them to bed just so you can have some time to yourself. Lay down your life one inch at a time. You know, you do that enough and pretty soon... You're laying down your life a lot. That's love. Inch at a time. In church, here's the way it works. Not my way, not your way, Jesus' way. And now Jesus is going to, um, well, before I get there, let me say one other thing. Let me say one other thing. You know, the thing I think that breaks most marriages is they're all in for the grand gesture and not in for the daily give. They're all in for the grand gesture and they're not in for the daily give. So if you're here and you're thinking about getting married, don't ask, 
can I love this person the rest of my life? That's the wrong question. Let me tell you the right question. Can I give to this person the rest of my life? Because marriage is not 50-50. It's 100-100. Okay, now, on to the next link in the chain. It's what we would call the slave-friend conversion. Verse 14, you are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his father's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I have learned from my father I have made known to you. Jesus says, look, I don't want you just to be my slaves. I just don't want you to do the commands because I command you, although I have every right to do so. I want you to be my friends. In the ancient Near East, Every king had a group known as friends of the king. And the friends of the king were the people that the king trusted most. He trusted them literally with his life. They would have the privilege of the bedchamber. That sounds kind of creepy and weird. What is that? Well, in the ancient world, if you wanted to assassinate the king, the most common time to do it was at night when the king is asleep. And so you would go to the guards on the king's bedchamber, and if the guards recognize you, you'd slip in, and then you get him while he's asleep. So you pick your friends very carefully. These are the friends you trust with your life. And Jesus says, I don't just want you to be my slaves. I want you to be my friends. I want you to be in on it. I want you to know what my heavenly Father has made known to me. And you go, well, what has the heavenly Father made known to Jesus? Have you ever noticed people want to answer all the want answers to all the questions the Bible doesn't really answer? Well, things like, you know, did Adam and Eve have belly buttons? Where did Cain and Abel get their wives? Let me tell you the reason it's not in the Bible. God says, that's not important. I don't want you to worry about that. But I'm worried about it, God. I don't want you to worry about that. Instead, Focus on what the scripture actually teaches. This is why you should read the Bible. Because Jesus told us what's important. In the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, things like blessed are the poor in spirit. In other words, when you know you're spiritually bankrupt, then you know you need God. Blessed are those who mourn. When your sin doesn't just make you mad, it makes you sad. Then you'll turn to Jesus. And I I could go on and on. This is why you need to understand what is important to God, what he's made known through Jesus. That's what you need to do. Jesus wants you to be a friend of the king, not just a servant. That's the slave friend conversion. And now there's the security of being chosen. This is the next link in the chain. Jesus said, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. Jesus chose you. Before there ever was a world, Jesus said, I want you. I want you to be my friend. I want you to grow in your faith. I want you to to get to that point where you really understand what my Father and I are about. We talked about this last week. He's got a purpose for your life. His purpose is that you bear fruit, two kinds, fruit of the Spirit, so your heart is transformed. You are more loving, joyful, peaceful, patient, kind, gentle. You've got self-control, your faithfulness, you're good. That's the fruit of the Spirit. And Jesus then wants your life to have a purpose. 
He wants his kingdom to expand. And so when you ask anything that's in those realms, Jesus, of course, wants to give it to you. When I was a teenager, growing up in a small town in Florida, I had a friend visiting from out of town, and Mama sent us into town to get some things. She gave me a list. I had to go to Cats, Beeson's, and SNS. So I went to Cats. Cats is the gift store in town, still there. And I walked in, and Aunt Gloria was there. And Aunt Gloria gave me a package already wrapped that my mother had said for her to wrap up. And Aunt Gloria gave me a ticket, and I wrote my name down. And then I went across the street to Beeson's. I said hi to Aunt Novita. And then I walked up to the pharmacist, and he gave me a bag full of drugs. And then he handed me a slip of paper, and I signed my name. And then I went over to SNS Grocery, said hi to Aunt Faye, if you're getting a pattern here. Went to, said hi to Aunt Faye. I had Mama's grocery list. I went down. I got everything on her list, and I went into the checkout line to Montanez, who I'd known my whole life. And Montanez rung it all up in the old-fashioned kind of way. Do you remember the old-fashioned cash register? This is—I know some of you don't understand this. You don't understand that once upon a time you didn't go blip blip blip. They actually had to punch every price in. And Montanez had punched every price in, and she hit that button, and chuka 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 chuka, and she handed me that receipt, and I signed that. And my friend from out of town looked at me and said, this is an amazing town. You don't have to have money. Of course you have to have money. You know what happened. End of the month, Aunt Gloria, Aunt Novita, and Aunt Faye all sent Mama a monthly bill. And they knew Mama would pay it. I was just there in my mother's name asking for what my mother had already ordered. And what would have happened if I'd gone into SNS and gotten something that was not on the list? My Aunt Faye would have said to me, that's not on the list. Your mother wouldn't let you get that. When you pray what's on your Heavenly Father's list, his answer is always yes. I want to say that again. When you pray what's on your Heavenly Father's list, it's, his answer is always yes. So when's the last time you prayed for more love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness? When was the last time you prayed for your purpose in life to be fulfilled? Hey, let me just mess with your mind for a minute. When's the last time you prayed to make more money so you could give more away? There's a couple of you going, uh, I didn't even know I could pray that. Well, try it. See what happens. Okay. Now, Jesus is going to finish it up with a reminder. This is the last link of the chain. Last link of the chain. Jesus says, this is my command, love each other. Now, why is this the last thing he says in this portion? I want you to remember who he's talking to. He's talking to the disciples. They've been arguing, who's the greatest, who's the greatest? I am, I am. No, I am. They've been arguing about this for three years. Jesus knows in just a few hours, he's going to go to the cross. He's going to die. Then he's going to be raised again. And then in a few weeks, he's going to leave the earth and leave these bozos in charge. Love one another. Guys, you're not doing real well. I've worked on this for three years. Love each other. This is my command. This is my reminder, love each other. And you know what they did? Something about the resurrection of Jesus changed their hearts. And they did love each other. And it changed the world. I'm, I'm really not a very good marriage counselor, but sometimes couples come to me. And they, they, they're, 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 they start, I said, tell me why you're here. And, and, and 
she usually is the one who starts and she says, hey, you know, I just can't live this way anymore. He's just let me down. He's hurt me so bad. And then he says, I've hurt you. Let me tell you how you've hurt me. And then they go on for about 30 minutes and I've had all I can stand. And I say, stop. Okay, so here's what I want you to do. Here's your first assignment for this week. I want you to spend a week just loving each other. Well, we do love each other. We just can't stand each other. No, no, let me explain this. I just want you to love each other. What does it mean by that? I don't want you to try to be right in every argument. I don't want you to try to prove how bad the other person is. I want you to think about what's good about them. I want you to bring out good in them. I want you to love them. I want you to want what's best for them. Can you do that? Well, I suppose. It's amazing how that makes just a little bit of difference. Inch by inch, inch by inch, inch by inch, love gets restored in that marriage. Love each other. Love's a verb, not a feeling. Are you secured by Jesus' love so you can love? It's really the bottom line question, isn't it? Do you have enough security in Jesus' love so that you can actually love? Do you, have you got this? Have you got the chain links? Because let me tell you what can happen. When you are secured in Jesus' love, think of all of his teaching, you're following it, and then you have the presence of Jesus in your life, then you are locked into Jesus' love. Now, you've got a life that can bear some weight. You've got a life that can, can love other people. Because let's face it, loving somebody, it's a weight, isn't it? It's a weight. You love somebody, it's a weight. And, and, and that's why you need to have the strong lock of Jesus' love that connects your life to your Heavenly Father and to Him. If you don't have that, you can get that today. You simply open your life to Jesus and say, I know I'm a sinner. I, I know I've messed up. I need the grace of Jesus. Let him come into your life. Let him love you profoundly. It's going to take you some time to know how deep Jesus' love is. I've been working on it now for about a long time. And I'm still amazed at how much my Father loves me. My Heavenly Father loves me. And, and maybe you are already a follower of Jesus and say, well, I've already done that. But something feels disconnected. I want you to go back through these links. Maybe you need to, to listen to this message again online and just go back through and say, no, wait a minute. Am I really doing that? Am I really following Jesus' teaching? Because my, here's my hunch. If you're having trouble loving somebody, it's because one of these links in the chain's missing. And some of you, some of you, good for you, you would actually say, you know, I got that. I got that. I am loved and I am able to love. Good for you. Would you send me your story, how the love of Jesus has helped you love other people? My email is claysmith at adbc.org. Because here's what I know. When you are deeply loved by Jesus, you can love. You can love your spouse. You can love your kids. You can love your neighbor. You can even love your enemy starts by knowing you're deeply loved. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, 
we first stand amazed at the deep, deep love of Jesus. Thank you for loving us so much. And I pray, I pray that we would all, watching online, in this room, at Bacala, we would all, Father, just soak in that love so it'll be well with our souls. And I pray, Heavenly Father, for any in this room who don't know that, I pray that today they would embrace Jesus as Savior and Lord. I pray, Father, for those of us who, who know Jesus but something's disconnected, would you heal that? Would you help us follow your teaching? Father, and I want to pray for those who are just celebrating because they have been loved and they're able to love and they've seen your love change their lives. Oh, Father, you're a good, good Father for loving us so much. And we thank you for this love in Jesus' name. Amen.